And it is episode 18, Sunday, September 4th, 2011. So some unlucky E4 below slob got to pull out those the 50-gallon barrels that were cut in half and burn them. It has been the same since the Civil War. <laughs> Jim Dyer's always bragging it. He's the one who got, you know, that top swim qualification. That's right. It's called WSQ, their ass now, but yeah. that's what I got. Well, holy good God and storming Friday and a summer vacation. Welcome back, everybody. Over here to my left, DBR and Christian up in, still up in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Last time I checked, if that's right. Oh, that's right. But uh, right now I'm sitting in my sister's living or kitchen down in Moore, Minnesota. Moore, Minnesota. Every once in a while during a little pre-production stuff there, we had... David with some birds. Now, are they canaries in the mine, or what kind of birds are these? Yeah, uh, my sister is doing some breeding of canaries, so every once in a while they chirp up. And over storm. to my right, James L. Johnson Jr., hailing from the recovering Detroit, Michigan area. James L. Johnson Jr. Well, congratulations. You arrived safely in Israel, I understand. And Dave, what are you doing watching bird sex i've never heard of that before hey you know i'm i'm thinking about setting up a live feed webcam thing here and you know making a little internet porn money you know what i always leave it up to you to throw us into an x-rated show you know i know we have to rate our explicit we gotta get that explicit tag yeah we've got it and of course i am bringing it in here but before we say that we got andrea sandoval coming from new mexico is that right andrea that is correct. Welcome aboard, and I am Garland H. Green Jr. hailing from Netanya, Israel. This is our first overseas show. We said we were going to do it, ladies and gentlemen, and we have done it. So here we are. We're back from a long vacation, a much-needed break. David was out teaching kids to swim and doing all kinds of other stuff. I was moving my fat, never-growing ass clear across country in the world. And James, I'm not really sure what you're doing, but David has found Andrea for us. So David, if you would be so kind, sir, is to introduce our guest today. Well, I'm honored today to to introduce to everyone Andrea Sandoval, who is a Army veteran our first female veteran on the show. So I think we ought to send her a cup or something. Do we have a cup? <laughs> Paper is cup, like baby. Prote- I don't know. Is it, is it like a protective cup or a drinking cup? Good point. Given uh, the fact uh, what David yes. did with birds, that's a fine question. Um, Andrea was, uh, was in the Army with uh, for 13 years and is now working on her Bachelor of Fine Arts in Graphic Design down at the University or New Mexico State College, if I remember right correctly. Correct. And she comes, she also comes to us through a, a previous guest, Jason Parsons of the Graffiti War Project, which uh, at the end of the show I got a little shout out for them for the upcoming um, upcoming gallery show. So stay aboard for that. Andrea, I just want to tell you, I really do appreciate you coming on this show because anybody had had the intestinal fortitude to talk to Dave prior to the show <laughs> is definitely <laughs> special in my book. You know, the <laughs> army prepared you started. well. So, <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> so tell me, you had 13 years. Was that active? All active in the army? No, it was active and reserve. Gotcha. Because you went in. Uh, 
what was it? What year did you go in? 1991, 19, I think it was? Correct, 1991, when now nothing you, was happening per se. And your dad was, or your mom, they were Air Force people? Because you were born at uh, Glendale, Arizona, right, at an Air Force base. Correct. Actually, my dad was a Marine. He got out. He was in Vietnam. Um, he got caught in an ambush out there, was medically retired, and decided that we should move all around the country for a bit. So when really? I was born, mm-hmm. so he was he was a teacher. He decided to make use of the government college fund, became a teacher, moved to Arizona, Idaho, um, I believe back here to New Mexico, and then we finally settled back in Southern California. And the reason you were born on the Air Force base is he was prior military. Correct. Gotcha. So what unit did he serve with in the uh, Marine Corps? Do you remember or do you know? No, I haven't got that information. I know it's on the, in the 1st Mar Division. Um, but I do know that he was somewhat of a jokester. And <laughs> oh, so I, I, I can tell by your voice that some of that's been carried over. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, 23, 23 genes of his are mine, so. There you <laughs> so. go. There you go. So you grew up in Oceanside, California. Yes, sir. Well, that's full of Marines. What prompted you to go into the Army as opposed to the Marine Corps? When I decided to enlist, I was, I was talking to my dad, and he says, do not, absolutely do not join the Marine Corps. Interesting. That was his. No, that actually, that, that's, not un, that's not uncommon because uh, I, I've heard that from a lot of Marines with their kids. Well, well, especially with my dad, he just, at the time when I did, he was like, he was, you know, the female Marines have a bad reputation, you know, it's not what you want to do. And I guess when he was in there, things were different, I should say. Um, so his point of view from how women were in the Marines were not as professional as they are now yeah yeah i know i i can understand that i really can well tell me you went to uh operation iraqi freedom so you were deployed that was in 2003 Correct. and you had been in the service how many years prior to that you were what a sergeant when you went over i was a sergeant first class um oh when you in 2003 you were huh correct great yeah uh, seat i had already been in it was that was at the last of my tour that was my 12th year i went in so this wasn't your first time overseas huh no i I went overseas but never what was this the first conflict that you had been in yes what did you think you know you're going there you're an e7 you're in charge of x amount of people with it you're going into a war zone you know, at the at that point when I first went in there, it was more of it was everything the army taught me as far as being the leader. As you know, the NCO check, you know, you check on your people, you check on the equipment, you make sure everybody's ready. You try to fight the boredom initially when you're first there, kind of prepping. And I didn't have any real. I can only say I didn't have any real fear at that moment because I think I was so busy with the logistics and getting everything there and ready and prepped that not until we crossed over did I start realizing kind of the the reality of it came to me. Yeah, you, you were a quartermaster company, is that correct? That is correct. So 
tell us what they do as a quartermaster company. I know it's supply and logistics with it, but a lot of our listeners may not know. So. Well, supply and logistics, which are, which everybody knows is just critical for the war fighters. Oh, yeah. Um, we did the water supply basically, and we would purify all the water, store it, and be, we could send it off 10 miles down a pipeline that we'd have. So uh-huh. it was, you know, beans, bullets, the necessities, water, which wasn't out there when we got there as far as a good supply line of it. And then we, when we didn't do that, we would do convoys, um, we would do security, we would do everything but our job. Yeah. But our job is just basically making sure the warfighters had their had their supplies. Now, when they set the oil fields on fire, this was Operation Iraqi Freedom when they did that, correct? I believe it was in the beginning. Yeah, it was. So when they set these oil fields on fire and the pollution and everything took place with it, do you have any type of side effects from anything or do you um, have friends that have? I want to say yes to both, but it's... I mean, when I came, when we got there, we had no no toilets, uh-huh. no porta potties, so we had burnouts. So some unlucky E4 below slob got to pull out those half the 50 gallon barrels that were cut in half and burn them yep. with diesel fuel. And so everybody where we at did the same thing in the morning. Everybody, and so as we would. As we set up operations and then we started doing like our PT or just moving from site to site, you would inhale all these fumes besides all the oil and the dust. And yeah, so I think I have some respiratory issues. Um, The VA says I don't, but the cough that I have and kind of the the lack of oxygen I take in anymore is kind of proof to me that I have something. Well, let me tell you something Uh, as a, a former veteran. You want to stay on top of that because there's a lot of people out there from this era that were in this conflict and have respiratory issues. That's something on it that's ongoing in the VA right now is checking the stuff out, just so oh, you I know. So, it. yes, you want to keep a close eye on that. You know, I'll tell you a quick story about burning the shitters, right? I was, uh, right. oh, I was Ninth Marines. Yeah, I was a Ninth Marine and I was a squad leader and I was back. We just got done with an operation and we got shot up really bad. So we're in the back picking up replacements. And I get these replacements in, right? Lucky me, I got always had the majority of replacements because I had the heaviest casualties all the time. So when you're in the rear with the gear, it's kind of like relaxing and taking it easy. But there are some duties, like you just pointed out, burning the shitters. And I told one of my replacements this, I want you to go there and burn them shitters. He says, well, how do I do that? I said, you just pour, pull out the can it's in back, fill it up with gasoline, and light it. That's all I told him, right? <laughs> so <laughs> he fills this thing up with gasoline, and there's an officer in there taking a shit, right? <laughs> Drops that match in there. And I want to tell you, I was standing tall, locked, and cocked on it. I mean, I never got my ass chewed out so bad in my life with it for improperly supervising that particular uh, situation. But it happens. It happens on it. When you said that, that just popped in my mind. That's something I forgot about God knows how many years ago. But it's just incredible with it. So listen, uh, like I'm saying with this respiratory issue, stay on top of that. I mean, the only way you really can is keep reading the periodicals and the things that come up. Right. And I think the other issue that's going on is some autoimmune disorders. That yes. That they are 
and I've talked to a couple doctors out in California. Um, one that is specifically a, a he's very pro troops and really generally nice guy. And he's he's one of the scientists. I think his name is Doctor Garth Christensen. Yeah. I'd have to look that up, but he is he's been doing those studies since Desert Storm. And he's seen a pattern that people are coming back with autoimmune disorders from uh, OIF and OEF and OND and all their acronyms out there. Yeah, it, it's going to be really, really interesting uh, in another couple of years. You know, we wound down from a 10-year conflict, and all these guys that are, and girls that are coming back, there are more of them survived from wounds than in any other previous conflict. So there's a lot of amputees. Yes. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of trauma these kids go through. And I'm always, always concerned about two things. One, how they're received when they come home. And number three, or number two, is how they're going to be treated. Will they stay on top of them, or will they just kind of push it aside later down the road? Yeah, I think what I see is that the welcoming home part is pretty good. I think I've only seen one incident where it wasn't so pretty. And then as far as staying on top of it with the VA, that's, I think you have to be persistent. You, you, oh, you have do. to, you, I mean, I've done so much as registered them, certified the mail and sent it to them. And they get awfully upset when you do stuff like that. <laughs> keep, keep copies of everything. Oh yeah. Yep. Are you thinking that the audio autoimmune stuff and the the issues with your breathing is it is it because of the oil that was burning is there thought patterns that that maybe uh saddam capped off some some chemicals or what is what is the current thinking about those vets i had a good one a very very good friend of mine he and i were in the core together uh and i was uh, he, he went over and and he uh, ended up getting really sick cancer and to this day i'm not sure if he survived it but he was really really sick with some of this stuff as well what what is it what 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 are they thinking it's from i think it from what i've read and seen it's a combination not only do you have the oil that's burning out there so you have all those uh toxins out there but that sand and there's a lot of particulates out there that are just horrible in that region and i don't know if it's because it's so rich in oil and they've done different things and then you have the deep spray you have the spray that goes around when they you're in the living area that they have their little pest controllers go around and spray some gnarly stuff um the ship burners the diesel fuel i live by the airport in balad so we had all the all the JP84 and all those out there and then I think it's a combination of everything and honestly I could say there were things that they found out there that I wouldn't doubt if Saddam or his crew kind of released some things here and there. Do you think that those shots that they gave us back then were oh. uh, were just voodoo or what? Oh, they those were I, I am I can't prove it, but I'll say it and this is just my opinion, but those were their experiments. <laughs> yeah. They were, we were the guinea pigs. I mean, even well, when th- I was out there. Those thoughts are shared by an awful lot of veterans. You're not alone in that. Those, those thoughts are shared by an awful lot of veterans. And, you yeah, know, I toxic understand. waste is such a huge thing. You touched on something a lot of people don't understand. 
around uh, sand areas and places like that, they spray everything with oil, and of course that seeps into it. You were in water purification. Uh, there's a big thing right now in the Marine Corps about the water down at Camp Lejeune. Oh, that's right. At, and out at Camp Pendleton. I'm part of that. I get, In fact, I just got a health survey from the Marine Corps personnel and civilians. It's uh, the Agency for Toxic Substance and Disease Registry. It's yeah. huge. And on PBS, there was a special, oh, about three days ago, I think it was, uh, they send me notification, and I try to stay on top of that. But there's a lot of cancers. There's a lot of various other things, health issues that are, keep popping up over this. So people don't realize just what you're exposed to. It's, it's yeah, it's part of this has always been suspected that the reason why he set fire to everything was he could spread chemicals into the smoke. Correct. Whether that's whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I know a lot of people feel that, and uh, I also know that the CIA did some kind of report on that. Now the other side of the coin is what you're talking about around bases where they spray everything with oil to keep the dust and stuff down. I mean, people don't realize that. And you were in water purification. You you know that that water cable <laughs> where oh, it's at that, and what's going on. Yeah, they, you know, not only that, you have like the farmers out there that are, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have the same guidelines as they do here in the U.S. And so whatever fertilizers or pest control pesticides they use insecticides those are some gnarly things that they have on hand oh yeah they're probably and still it using gets in, ddt oh yeah and that you know it's it's amazing what is shipped out there by companies whether it's made there or made here but they are in use and it's their daily life it's not this is not a commercial production as far as raising getting their food it's just their daily life mm -hmm. and they're they're trying to make the best out of it that they can and nobody's standing up there there's no there's no epa per se no or, no. or anybody looking out for them or no it's 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 and you were you were you were knee deep and 10 foot tall a lot of guys and gals are getting hit with that stuff it's not when you're in your 20s but you start bumping around 30s and 40s, as Jim was talking about. We've had several shows talking about Jim fighting cancer, uh, you know, directly linked back to the time when he was exposed to Agent Orange. And, you know, we, just, I don't know, we have a lot of conversations about, we point back, you know. We go through this, we don't think about it, and then the people who end up, you know, feeling it, not when they're in their 20s, because that's when your, you know, your body's at yeah. its greatest. But 30s and 40s and 50s is when that body and you feel those effects and it breaks down. And, then, and you pointed something out. It has been the same since the Civil War where, I mean, there's been a lot of veterans. If you go back and read veterans talking about what's happened in the War Department where they're saying, you know, well, that was a pre-existing condition. You brought that into the military. But you wouldn't have never gotten into the military if with a pre-existing condition like that. <laughs> Gee, I know right. your arm's not working. That must have been a pre-existing condition. You know? Well, I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, the congressional panel, and this report just came out. Matter of fact, uh, you can go into, you're a member of the VFW. You probably get to VFW magazine, I'm sure. Right, Andrea? Correct. Yeah. There's an article in this month's publication. It says one in four of the nearly 700,000 U.S. golf vets has 
or is having Gulf War illnesses. That's incredible. Yep, that's incredible. And this is a congressional study that's taking place right now. So please document everything, keep everything in. Even if you can't use it, your survivors can. And that's how I look at it. That's a very good point. Well, I'm a big believer, you know, when... I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and then uh, they connected it back to Agent Orange. Since that time, I've done a lot of studies about cancer and about Agent Orange. And uh, a friend of mine who's very involved in uh, the cancer world was telling me just this morning on a conference call that there's a study taking place down in Morgantown, West Virginia. This is where they study this. And the people that are doing this study on it are finding that there was a lot of the uh, batches of the defolent that was mixed was mixed improperly. Are you married, Andrea? No, I have. Well, depends on what state you're in. I have a partner. Gotcha. Okay. So you want to you want to make sure that whoever it is that you're with on it uh, has all this documentation because even if something happens, you know, I mean it's. At least they'll benefit from it. You worked for Callaway Golf Company for a while, huh? Yes, sir, I did. How long were you I, with them? I was with them, let's see, 11 years total. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, it liking was... the game of uh, golf, I was impressed when I read that about you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you well, get a just have... driver? <laughs> yeah, we'll have to talk offline about that, but Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? They were, I got to tell you, Callaway Golf, and this is not a plug for them, but this is just because I appreciate what they did as people. When I was working with them, I was reserved at that time. So when I got called up, a lot of them had no military Actually, I'd say a good 85, 90% of them have no military background as far Mm -hmm. as anybody in their family. These guys would send me these got awful huge packages out there of just oh they i i got i actually got in trouble they would they're like sandoval go to the (laughs) post office and i'm like i'm busy and so i would go but there would be like these 60 pound packages out there and they would be full of i was lucky because i said i want fresh fruit if you guys could send me fresh fruit you'd be awesome I got avocados, I wow. got green apples. I mean, I got stuff I didn't even need. They would they would be pranksters and I'd get granny panties out there like size 100. <laughs> and, you know, and they but they were constant in their as far as letting me know that they were thinking about me. If you still have those, Jim can probably use them. What, the oh, granny panties? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay. <laughs> You'll be doing mountain climbers all night tonight. I can see that. <laughs> oh, Until you're tired, Jim? You, you, you'll did, be going till I'm tired, and I don't get tired watching. Oh. So. <laughs> did, did you? I, I take it you, you've heard about Jim's little sweat game that he denies. Oh, you know, I, I have to, you have to put a disclaimer on some of these because – I had been hydrating really well, and I was doing some homework and listening at the same time. And that show, I was running to the bathroom. I was laughing so hard. For all the lawyers out there, if if she says hydrate, Jim, she's talking about water. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. 
<laughs> at any rate, good lord. Well, it. You know, I think that the important thing is is that, as Jim points out, and we talk about your service while you're there during that period of time, really do think about that because, man, you know, if you don't, I mean, they think about us and they take care about us, they take care of us, but to some degree, they think about themselves too and the longevity of the program versus the necessarily the veterans that are out there, man. And, you know, as much as we want to say thanks a lot to the government and the taking care of us, we want to make sure that we always get what's right and what we've got coming to us. And unfortunately, that responsibility rests strictly with us. us. You're, you're right. They are, they, you know, as they once told me when I'm 87 and went to the school, if you get into an engagement, you're allowed an 80% success rate. And I'm like, 80%? I'm like, I'm confused. I mean, how are we going to met? How do we quantify 80%? They're like, well, based upon your numbers of personnel and equipment and blah, 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 you come back with 80% and it's a good mission. Yeah. And, and that's the way you, unfortunately, that's the way they think about it. You are a number and divided into a percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that. That's the reality of it, I think. And one of one of the things we've got going on with the VA right now is there, we have too many civilians who have never, you know, they've never been in the military and they have no idea what the military is about and the the camaraderie and such. They don't feel that the same way as fellow veterans do. Oh, they do not. It's, you know, bless their hearts, they try, but Lord, they don't have any doggone knowledge about what it's like and I can't tell you how many times I've had you know uh, the wife of a veteran saying oh honey you were back in the rear my husband and the boys did everything and I'm like well you know maybe back then when your husband was in or the doctor's like oh so you know were you in just Kuwait did you ever you know go outside the wire or anything like that they have no understanding of kind of how the jobs have they're not quite blended, but you, the female, the, well, those bullets are not having any discrimination. You know, what's nice about, though, I do want to say that thank goodness that we're not having that conversation anymore, really. I mean, to this very effect, um, you know, the military, the jobs, the jobs that are, are, uh, are happening, are, they're bleeding across each other, and the, war, the battlefield is changing so much that logistics are at the front of the battlefield. And so you don't have such this, such a clear, you know, the battle line is up there and there is a rear with the gear. The battle is taking place in the area that you're at, you know? I mean, we have a green zone and the battle is all around it. So to some degree, I'm glad that we're not having that conversation so much anymore because it's, it, you know, it, it moves away. It, a, a marine, a, a male marine, and a woman marine, or an army soldier—I don't even know what the heck the separation <laughs> is between women and men in the army. You know, Jim and I and David pay so little attention to it, but so you'll have to help us out. You know, that was intended to be a joke. Anybody want to? Someone want to pull my ass out of a jam here? No, no, no. I'm going to let you swim in the pool, baby. Yeah, you—you you jumped into the deep yeah, end, buddy. I know it. I know it. Don't be reaching for the pole because I'll push you under. You go ahead, keep on. <laughs> well, you know, he, Jim Dyer's always breaking it. He's the one who got you know 
that top swim qualification. That's so. right. It's called WSQ, their ass knob, and yeah. that's what yeah. I got. <laughs> and I know you don't remember this, Johnson, but I'm going to remind you of it. I'm standing there. We're going swimming, and we're getting ready to go to the swim tub, and you crawled into my face like you had a way of doing. And you said, how are you going to I said, sir, the private's going to kick some ass. And you're like, well, we'll see about that, won't we? Well, there you go. Take that, well, James. Every dog has its day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, getting back to the little more seriousness nature of this thing, I happen to be pleased that we don't have, we're not hearing that conversation anymore. You know, we're not separating. Women are getting maimed and burned and killed and and as just as much as men are doing exactly the same thing the head of the veterans administration is a is a double amputee a woman so you're not seeing that conversation so I, i think you know i'm sure that you're still going to have the people who were you know in the 80s and early 90s maybe having that dialogue but the the veterans that are coming out today that are fighting this battle today are that conversation is is a null and void conversation. And you mentioned something yep. too. Uh, forgive me, I'm going to just interrupt briefly. You had mentioned sure. something earlier about why your dad didn't want you to become a WM. And um, not taking anything away from the WMs that were in there, but just like there was the separation of the the, the men would go into combat and the, and the women wouldn't. And it, I can tell you there were a lot of good women, many women, who struggled and fought against that stereotype. Now there were there were there were many many women who took advantage of the fact that they were, you know, they were a minority. There's only X number of men and there's even X number of women less and took advantage of that and all of the stereotypes that were heaped upon there. But for every one of those women that were doing that crap, there were 15 20 who were professionals committed to changing that perception and they came to work with professionalism and hard working and PT and thank goodness for the efforts of those women because they they built the modern military that we have today to a point where there's not you know women are going into combat with men and we're not calling it combat but look when your legs are blown off and you know pink clouds and cartilage are flying through the air it doesn't make a difference male or female and that's what we're seeing now so I think that that's I think that that's a good thing. That's good progress in my opinion. Oh no doubt. Best. You're I think you're always going to have those male female that will take advantage and you know, I saw that out there with a couple males trying to take advantage of not being exposed to to any potential harm. And as well as females and that's but then you got some females that are just on it. They're rock solid professionals. You don't want to mess with them and you know, thank God they're there because that was those are my role models. Yeah. Well, are you aware uh, that there are females in special ops programs? Oh, most I I have a couple friends. Yeah, a lot of people aren't. They think that you know special ops is exempt from any type of women, but that's not true. There, there are women that are serving in special ops. You know, speaking of uh, back to the military side, you belong to a lot of different charities and other organizations. What is the uh, Soldiers Angels? What's that, oh, one that about? That one is, I like that one. It um, Basically, you adopt a soldier, 
And so they sent how do you how, how do you go about that? It's soldiersangels.com, I believe, and you sign up there. They have a new members list. Um, I haven't been on that part of this, the website in a very long time. But you sign up, and they do what they do back in the background, and they come back with a soldier's name, and they ask that you at least write them once a week and about once a month send them a care package, which doesn't have to be big or extravagant, but just, you know, snacks or what writing utensils or hygiene equipment um and it's basically you send it out to these soldiers marines airmen anybody that's out there that maybe may or may not have anybody back home having corresponding with them so you make them feel i at least my opinion is you make them feel like somebody cares about them how were you made aware of this um i think in 2004 when i came home I had such an appreciation for what my coworkers and my friends and family had done for me. I mean, that was that really kept me going through that whole time out there. And so I was trying to find a way to reciprocate, you know, give back a little. And I saw it, and I was like, well, and their website wasn't fancy. It was pretty basic. And I started looking around and poking around, and that's how I got a hold of them. I wonder who started the Soldiers for Angels. You know, if it was oh, a dependent or a veteran or what? I, the person, and that, I think that's what sold me on it. The person that I know of the founder is Patty, um, Patty Barrett, Patty Patton Barron, I believe is her name. And I'm sure, oh my goodness. Oh, geez. Um, sorry about that. Technology reached in and grabbed you. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> But she is the granddaughter of General Patton. Really? And Yes. And for people that do know me, General Patton is like, he's, when you think of a soldier, soldier, and as somebody you want to follow, that, for me, that's who it is. Mm-hmm. Because he stood up just with his troops and said, okay, let's go to battle. And he bucked the system and said, hey, this is not, no, this is not how we're going to win. I mean, granted, he was pretty from what I've read and everything. He was kind of harsh in some of his tactics, but he held up like PT. My officers will do PT just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if I'm warrior... giving a speech, go ahead. A warrior deathmatch, Jesse Polar versus Patton. <laughs> just, you, you know, Dave, the soldiers for angels. You better look into that. Maybe we should play them on got, our show. Too. I've already got a list. I already got on my list. They, if you, there's get another group. Person, Go ahead, please. I was gonna say that's that's if anybody wants to help out, that's a good one too. That soldier angels does a lot of good. That you may you may never get a response from the soldier, but you know that you've done good. That's great. And this American Veterans for Equal Rights, what's that about? That is, it falls along the lines with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but they're all veterans. And basically they fought for the removal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And basically they bring up situations of just blatant discrimination and harassment and even assault. Mm-hmm. They, they, There's been a couple... Especially out there when San Diego, where I I met them, they um, they had a couple male soldiers that were raped, and they had one that was brave enough to tell his story, and I think a lot of people are not aware that when they think of a gay person, 
they think of somebody effeminate, um, you know, just dancing around, flaming around, you know, limp wrist. And it, it really, there's a lot of people that serve in silence, but they, they are rock hard professionals and, you know, and it's just basically about having equal rights for everybody. We, you know, this is not, an, uh, it's not uncommon to have people of different beliefs or however we want to phrase this in, in the military. It goes back for centuries. So oh, this yeah. is not, you know, first time this stuff comes up. And the yeah. Iraqi and the Afghanistan veterans, I would assume that's like the Vietnam veterans. That's the people who served in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. They're, one, they're, they're not new, but they're one of the, I'd say, in the lineage, the, the new, one of the newest organizations out there that focus on issues that are specific to Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. It's great because they're the ones on it who really get the ball moving for their group, like your group, you know, uh, yeah. Desert Storm. I mean, these, these are the people that say, look, I was there. I know what went on, and this is where it should be. What's the uh, North County African-American Women's Association? Oh, they they are a great bunch of women. Um, so I grew up, grew up in Southern California and actually Oceanside. And when I came back home, I I wasn't doing so well as far as I didn't realize how angry and mad I was at some of the things that happened out there. Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk I talk about a lot of this uh, stress that veterans oh, yeah. go through. So I mean, if, but this you is know, this is for women, right? Yeah, they, but Great. they. Uh, I I finally broke down and kind of let my pride fall a little as far as my ego, and I went to a therapist. And she, over the years, she's like, you know, maybe you should get involved with different groups. And I'm like, blah, groups. I hate groups. <laughs> and and this, this wasn't a therapy group, but it was just a bunch of women getting together. And lo and behold, these were all my old teachers and counselors from high school. And they knew my families. They knew, they remembered what my brothers did in high school, that they had to be sent to the principal's office. They remembered my grades. They, and these women are trailblazers in themselves. They are all African-American. Um, and they are, most of them are educators or administrators of the school system. They're all advanced degrees. And they are some of the funniest, kindest, generous, and proactive women I have met. Are you, are you uh, African-American? I am not. I am actually a very light-skinned Hispanic. Okay. So they, but these ladies are just, yeah, they were, I mean, they were my neighbors. Right. They were literally my, they're right there. So I'm like, oh, gee, many crickets. Let me just go sit in the back of the room. (laughs) Can I ask you a personal question? Go ahead. And if you don't want to answer it, you know, we'll pass on to the next one. But when you came back, did you find yourself with a drinking issue? Oh, I, yeah, I, it came to the point where if it wasn't for Stevie, my partner, I probably would be in jail or dead. Um, I came back and I thought I was handling it well. And lo and behold, I'd go out and drink an 18 pack of beer with friends. Yeah, but and that's the way military on wines. Oh, well, this is 18 pack just for me, not including yeah. the shots of whatever. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I know exactly what you're saying. All of us do. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so, yeah, I came back and it, you know, I guess I had enough sense that every time I got lotto, you know, I got stinking drunk, I'd have enough sense to call. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, I can't drive. And it's amazing how some, I mean, I was, there were some really bad ones where she came and picked me up and basically stood right there while I was praying to the porcelain god and, you know, and finally she said, I think you have a problem. And you need to address it. And I was, at first, you're like, I don't have a problem. And then you're like, well, maybe I do. Maybe do you keep in I, contact with uh, people you had served with in the past? I do. I have a few of them that I do talk to. You and found they that all, they experienced the same thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. To a, yeah. To a certain degree. And then it right. takes a little, you know, once you kind of realize that, hey, maybe I am masking some feelings. And, you know, it takes... At that time, because I was when I came in, I was still, I still hadn't got out, and I still had a security clearance, and and you know, I was like, I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not weak. There's no way I could be weak. I have a security clearance. You know, I survived this. I don't have a problem. Well, I think you used the right adjective when you said, you know, you were masking feelings and everything. This is so true of anybody who's ever been in a conflict situation. Uh, you find that to be the case. Yes, most definitely. I mean, there's no excuse or this or that. It's just a fact of life. You know, drinking and blowing steam off and stuff, that's part, at least it always was for me and everybody that I knew would put on a uniform. I mean, oh, you yeah. have an exception occasionally, but for the most part, yeah, you always have a couple cocktails and wind down you know yeah guys get together girls get together the group gets together and throw a couple back yeah and you, i think go ahead when you're at the vfw do you find that uh you know you you have to really watch yourself close <laughs> yeah. actually i do <laughs> i am yeah. you know it's especially out here they still well they're not probably not supposed to but you know they're smoking and joking and you know, the vets come in and they order pictures. They don't order glasses of beer. And, you mm-hmm. know, and when you get talking to them, they want to buy you a beer. And I'm like, you know, I'll have one, maybe yep. two on a good day if I know somebody's with me that's not drinking. But I don't, it really, it, because I know what I'm capable of, I, <laughs> it scares me to drink. Yeah. Well, you know what? By you making the statements and putting the the line in the sand that way, uh, whoever's listening to this show, you might reach out and touch somebody. You you might make a difference in their life. I think the hardest part was just admitting, you know, letting my ego take that hit. You know, my pride took the hit where I got a problem and I'm not as strong as I thought I was. Yeah. Well, no, you are as strong because you addressed it. Yep, exactly. You know, I want to, if I can, I'd like to throw in something that I don't know if this is necessarily the most appropriate time, but we received an email, Andrea, it was, uh, it was during our break while, while I was moving and, and uh, okay. David was out and it was uh, f- from somebody who had sent us a link from the BBC that there was yep. a, um, a young uh, conscientious objector from the... Uh, Royal Navy, I guess. Uh, yeah, Royal, yeah, it's, it's Royal Marines, I believe. Yeah, yeah, maybe Royal Marines. That's right. He's a corpsman. And he said that he um, 
that he was not going to, um, he wanted to serve, but he couldn't serve in combat because he didn't believe in the, in the battle. And he had said in one of the articles that he had taken advice from the website standatease.org, which is us. Right. And so when we talk about reaching out and people listening to, to the things that you're saying, um, you know, you never really know what questions somebody on the other end is asking. So you never really know what you say is making sense to them. So with, with that caveat in mind, I'd like to ask a couple of, a couple of questions that kind of feeds into some of the things that you've talked about. And that is gay and lesbian uh, people who are serving and serving in combat that are out there right now who um, are serving in private who maybe, uh, well, we just were aware that we're addressing those issues right now in the service. But that's got to be or had to have been an added amount of stress to you, keeping that portion of it quiet. Um, it must, yes. You know. It, it, there's, especially, I think, as the NCO and you're, give or take, some people look up to you, some people can't stand you, but, you know, it's hit or miss. Either way, you I made an effort and that was this was my decision of I kept a distance from everybody. One because I didn't know what was gonna happen and I didn't wanna a lot of these some of these people I didn't know and I didn't wanna get attached to them. And two, I didn't want my private life out there. I did not want I just didn't want to hear it. It's not that I couldn't have talked to them about it and discussed it and but out there there is you know if you're a weak you're a fag or you're a pussy you know if you show emotion you're a girl and some of that to that I understand where it's coming from but you know you I I personally didn't want to get into in a combat zone the right or wrong of a sexual orientation of a person it that wasn't my my I didn't want to put that out there I didn't want to have that issue out there as far as hey are they going to be able to perform because you know they're gay oh my god they might do something and I think that's a lot of people feel that you know I've I've spoken to guys that the Hua Rangers infantry recon and they're all like eh, I don't want any fag with me you know what if he tries to rape me and what I always tell going you know one you're probably not pretty enough <laughs> two <laughs> you know you're you're nasty you're out there for God knows how long doing whatever and I'm guaranteeing you when the bullets are flying I would bet a paycheck dollars to donuts the last thing they're thinking about is sex mm-hmm you know, when those bullets and mortars are coming at you, somehow that is really pushed back to the back of your mind. That is not on the forefront of, hey, you know, his ass looks great. <laughs> so I think a lot, there's a lot of misconception of, and out there, they, there's people out there right now serving honorably in the toughest jobs, and you would never know because they don't let people know. Do you, um, when you came back or when you, I mean, did that add to all of the stress? I mean, while you were there, did it add an additional part of it? Maybe, maybe you weren't under heavy fire in combat, but 
because this is kind of a sub-question, because we've talked a lot of the impact of alcohol on the lives of vets that have come out. Um, we've even talked about it to some degree, the impact of alcohol on our lives. Jim and I have talked about it offline before, and David as well, about what role alcohol played in our life. Now, alcohol was freely available in the drug of choice, but there are other drugs now that are available that weren't available when we came out. Uh, what, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, you were gay and you were serving with distinction. You were, you were structuring your personal life so as to not make your personal life even remotely open for a conversation, yet still leading troops, dealing with combat in a battle all wrapped up in this cornucopia of bullshit that you had to deal with once you came back. And alcohol obviously played a role in that. Now, I'm not really necessarily asking a question, but it just seems to me that it's in a really amazing ball of humanity uh, that, that you bring to the table as you were talking about. I can only imagine the people who are tuning in that can identify with it you know, it could sit there and say, I, you know, I, that's me, or I can hear where she's coming from or, or something. And I'm just curious what, uh, what you think about that? Um, I would say that it did have a little stress. I mean, that is part of my identity and that, you know, that's part of who I am and it wasn't by choice. So with that said, um yeah that's a whole lot of me that people didn't get to know there's a few people that i think i still keep in contact that actually knew me that knew everything about me and they were like yeah whatever you're cool and when you come home and you still have to put that persona up but you come home to your home to where your family and friends and loved ones are it's and you have two lives i have a military life and i have a personal life and alcohol is the drug of choice because it is easy and available and it's not frowned upon in the gay communities you'll see a lot of meth use that's and a lot of it is in my experience in in what i've seen um just coming out to your family and friends is a very tumultuous time in somebody's life and you know they some people use drugs and alcohol as their escape and unfortunately they never escape that pattern and you know it, it's tough to serve with you're basically lying and part of your eth ethos are not you know you're going to be honest you're going to be an, you're going to have integrity and courage but yet you're holding something part of you that's so significant back and you hear all the, oh, you must be a faggot, you're a fag, you're a bitch, what are you, you a cunt, you're a dyke. I could give you all the names that, you know, guys talk, and just normal conversation, and I'm probably pretty sure in maybe like the infantry, the all-male area, that is prevalent. You know, from the guys I met, your manhood means a lot. So no, You're exactly right, yeah, it is. You know, I, I want to commend you for talking to us so candidly about all of this, because there's no doubt in my mind, none whatsoever, 
that there's going to be somebody listening to this show that either is or is a parent of or brother or sister of someone who was placed in the same situation that you were placed in. And your strength and, and your outright candidness, I'm sure, is going to give them a new perspective, a new sight on everything. And I, I just so. want to thank you. I want to thank you for all sincerity and uh, for being so forthright. Thank you. Um, I think, you know, it really is a non-issue. My belief in everything as far as the military is you meet the standard. You meet the standard. You do what your job says. You do it with integrity and honesty, and you don't leave your soldiers behind or your Marine behind. And I think you should be judged upon that. You do the right thing when you need to do the right thing. And I think that should be the standard. I want to. I, I want to. I, I agree. Yeah. I want to do a little uh, jump ahead here because uh, we're coming close to the end of our hour. Oh um, yeah. You're also. You're also Holy involved. Crap. <laughs> I know. Isn't it amazing? Um, yeah. But you're also involved in the Graffiti War Project with Jason Parsons. And this summer you were over in Kuwait and Iraq taking pictures and gathering documents and all that other fun stuff. How was the trip back? Oh, my goodness. Um, initially, it was great because I went to D.C. I saw family, went out from D.C. to Amsterdam for a couple hours, and then flew to Kuwait. And that's about where it stopped being fun. Um, so we had a little mix-up about who was picking us up and when and... You know, we sat in the airport for God knows how long, and you see all the Americans there and just strolling around at the local, you know, donut shop until you get picked up. And the moment we got on that bus to go to Ali Al-Salim, oh, my goodness, that brought back I – had, I had some bad flashbacks. And the problem when I have flashbacks is I taught – my part of my coping skills is to talk myself like, okay – where am I? Today's what day? I am here, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm here in Kuwait. Mother, I'm like, damn mm. it, I can't <laughs> use that coping skill. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm okay, because you have the heat and the dust, and that there's a very unique smell in Kuwait that it, I have to experience that same smell in any other country, whether it's Qatar, um, UAE, anywhere. That is well, the same it, it's true that a smell or a sound or any number of things can trigger your memory immediately. You, oh, know, yeah. you, mentioned, I mean, it, you mentioned the oil that's sprayed around in different areas. You can smell that on the highway sometimes, and, and your mind will just flip to another place 40 years ago. You know, That'll oh, always yeah. be with you. I mean, we got in at about, I'd say it's about 3 o'clock, and we checked in, and they're like, we don't know who the hell you are, but okay. You know, the all because you know we're like, well, we're here. They're like, yeah, go to tent, whatever. You need to check in there. It's three o'clock in the morning. You're dog ass tired, and it's still like a hundred and something degrees, and you're walking on that gravel. And that was another thing. I I was like, oh my god, the gravel, because you could just hear it under your feet, and that brought back a flood of memories. And so. You know, once we got there and got settled and finally found out there was no LOA for us out there, no representative or LNO, I forgot. Um, you know, we we finally worked through the system and we were able to connect with the, the USF 
south um, with let's see, Captain Porter and Major Huff, and they were outstanding. They they made every effort to make the T walls and the art and take us wherever we needed to to get these. Did you still find a lot of graffiti there? Actually, yeah. We it was funny when we the day before I left and. I'll try to put this nicely as I can. I got a call from a certain lieutenant colonel with a certain command element in Baghdad, USFI. Um, and they basically told me, yeah, there's no POEs out there. You're not going to get, you're not going to get any support. We can't help you, but remember to follow the rules. And I'm like, all right, asshole. And I'm like, okay, you know what? You, you got us in a spot that I can't argue. I need your support to get what I want done. And so Jason and I were just trying to do what we do, and we met up with all kinds of PAOs out there in Kuwait and Iraq that were like, we didn't know. And, <laughs> you know, we, we went out to somewhere. There was just the first, the invasion. You saw the graffiti from the invasion that was still there. And wow. it, it was it was battered and weathered, but it was still there, still visible. And you could just, you're like, wow, somebody was out here in the 120 degree weather painting this crap. And you, like, you know that there's a uh, movement right now to go back and clean up all this graffiti so that the civilian populace isn't reminded uh, constantly about our presence there. Yes. And I was reading that article with it. So I wondered how, you know, you and Jason were doing, you know, did you still we did, find? We, we still did. And, but, they are coming down. They are being replaced or painted over. Um, the one thing that I – a little bit of a side note. The one thing we did find that we were disappointed and I didn't appreciate them making me do this was that we checked every damn porta potty out there, and there is no graffiti in them. None. Those are some of the cleanest porta potties I have ever seen <laughs> anywhere in the world. They, well, think about it. That's where, that's where a lot of graffiti gets placed. <laughs> oh, that's what we were looking for. We were that was one of our one of our missions. We because that's where some of the best stuff is. Damn right. Mm -hmm. I mean I mean you have that moment of privacy and damn it, you're gonna take it. <laughs> and there are some great stories out there and we I literally think in the places we were researched every damn porta potty and they were immaculate. <laughs> yeah. I mean the I read in uh, one of the magazines, I read a lot of, about a lot of things, but I was reading an article how uh, they think psychologically it'll help the civilian populace and the government in place on it to overcome some issues if they remove a lot of this graffiti. So I immediately thought about Graffiti of War Project and whether you were going to find anything or not. We did, and I, I, I could see that point, how it would be a constant reminder and... I think the premise that we are going out there for is this is the stress relief that soldiers may find in the art, you know, oh, yeah. this is, and, and even, we even found Iraqi art, local nationals, that, especially like in Basra, beautiful, beautiful murals on these T walls. And well, you're a West coast girl. You've been through LA. You see all kinds of, <laughs> well, local art. Oh, shoot, shoot, I, didn't know it. I didn't, I just needed to go down the street where I lived. And actually uh, New Mexico has quite a, uh, gathering of collections down through there you yes, know do we have we have time to get into the uh partners with uh, givenhour.org and the c-a-m-m-o music 
I'm interested about this uh, post-trauma stress disorder music therapy. First time I've ever heard about that. How does that stuff work? So we'll start with Camo Music since that's the music one. Camo okay. Music is an organization. It's been around for actually quite some time, and they provide music therapy for veterans. And whether it's giving them a guitar, having lessons, or whatever that be, they're having a concert coming up in, I think, Beaumont, California. And what their goal was to get out to the places where the civilians and the veterans and the military do not, there's not a huge intermixing population. So they want to show them what they're about and how they can help anybody as far as service members, you know, just with music. It's, mm-hmm. it's a way of them just, it's not the end all be all for therapy and you're not probably going to get cured or, you know, but it's one of your coping mechanisms. It's a stress reliever and they do a really good job at helping out those that want music therapy to get that therapy. And givenhour.org is a, a group of professionals that they have a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically like a, a pool of professionals that are willing to donate an hour of their time to talk to service members, veterans, families that are dealing with PTSD and traumatic, traumatic brain injuries, TBIs. And they donate their time for this cause. So they, they go out there with traditional therapy and help those soldiers, help those, oh, those veterans. That's outstanding. You know? And it may be just, that may be your initial like, hey, I'm having a bad day, but I don't like therapy. I'm not, you know, I don't like shrinks. I don't want to go to group. They're there to kind of work your way in saying, hey, you know what? Just talk to me. You know, um, I'm the guy that's kind of got to drop the hammer on this one here, but Jim and, and David and, and I can speak, Andrew, I mean, seriously, uh, for for being off as long as we were coming back, I don't think we could have picked a better guest or certainly a better show for us to start start the next year of, of podcast. I hope that you'll consider coming back where we keep talking about wanting to put together a, a, a panel of our previous guests. Oh, that, I think it'd be great. I, uh, I think you guys have a great show that, you know what, it you talk about things that only veterans that, I mean, I was enjoying listening to you guys throughout this week. <laughs> I mean, you guys were, you, you were killing me because you're so funny, but then you got to the heart of the matters that need, need to be said. Well, at least you will consider coming back with us. I'll, I'll do everything I can to keep David from ruining the experience. And oh, come on! Now. And, and <laughs> matter, matter of fact, I'm going to have Andrea do one of our shout outs. Hey, Andrea, give us a shout out, would you, on this one? Andrew? Give us a shout out for the uh, Graffiti Award Gallery project coming up. Oh, the Graffiti Award National Gallery tour. This is a must see. We are putting together not only the pictures and the art that we found out in Iraq and Kuwait, but we have found artists that are soldiers themselves or veterans or people that work directly with them that are showcasing their items. Um, this is for us to, our goal is to build build a gap between the civilians and the military so there could be a dialogue and maybe not so much ambiguity of what a service member goes through, but more of, okay, I understand and how can help 
and we want to help the invisible, you know, help heal the invisible wounds of war. Hoorah. And we also want to give a shout out to GusMcCoy.com. Um, if you check it out, there's actually a story up there that was written by yours truly from a watch that I was on down in Camp Lejeune one night. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Chewy thought it was most impressive, so he put it up all by itself. Um, then we also have some upcoming shows. We got a student representative from the uh, Metropolitan State Veterans Association coming on with us on our next show. And then gunnery, retired gunnery sergeant Charles Wolf on a future show, too, talking about Semper Tunes. So mm-hmm. uh, one, la- one last shout-out we got going out is pretty soon we're going to be setting up a second stream that is going to be dealing with veterans issues who are veterans who are students uh, going to college either for the first time or coming back. So check, check out standardies.org and the Facebook page for when those first shows will be coming online. Well, I, I'd like to throw one more thing in there. Nine 11 is almost yeah, upon us. knocking on our door. And you know, this thing kicked off with the Afghanistan war and from October the 7th, 2001, through July the 5th, 2011, there was a total of 12,450 Americans that had been wounded there. There was a total of 1,639 U.S. killed there. I don't know where you guys were the day of 9-11, but all these days people remember. And we've still got men and women serving. we still got men and women putting their life on the line every day. So when 9-11 anniversary rolls around, take a moment and think about that person in uniform. I'll tell you what, Jim, why don't we just go ahead and close it at that. 